It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Jason Breifel, uh, joined here by my co-host, uh, Brion Griffin, who is our marketing design and uh, everything online guru at Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Uh, we are joined uh, in studio by three guests, uh, Richard Bentham, the exi- exhibit designer with the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, Claire Blaustein, a uh, federal dis- digital content specialist and committee leader for AIGA's DC.gov design organization, and NAX, the chief design strategist at IBM Public Service and also a .gov design committee leader. Uh, this morning, we'll all be chatting about the multifaceted and ever-evolving roles of designers in the federal government and uh, all of the different things that they do. So uh, very happy to have you all on the program today. Um, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having us. Um, And uh, I'd like to set the stage for our conversation a little bit and just provide our listeners with a little bit of background about each of you um, and uh, and what you do for your organizations. And uh, Nax, let's start with you. Fantastic. So I've been a designer for about 20 years. I got my start back in the late 90s dot com era. Had a lot of fun creating things um, called interactive (laughs) CD-ROMs. They were business card size back then, part, um, part of the times. And uh, gone from PR and marketing and uh, smaller design studios. I've been a design consultant for a little over five years now. And at IBM Public Service, I am helping develop a, an incubator program. And I run design, which basically means running design thinking uh, for different challenges for our clients. Thanks, Max. Claire? Sure. Um, I have been, I don't know how long to say I've been a designer. It's been a very, very slow and evolving process. Um, I started out in college as a classical music major in violin and then moved to um, music criticism from there to more journalism, from there to writing copy for websites, and then from there to actually building the websites. I've always been really interested in how the platform that you're using affects how you read content. And so I think it's been kind of a natural evolution to moving more from the content, just the writing side and the copy editing side to actually designing more things. So I've been in D.C. about 10 years and I started out, um, I came here for a job at NPR and was doing more radio. I'm really happy to be back in a studio with microphones. It's always Mm -hmm. fun. Um, And then I moved from arts organizations and then about five years ago I joined the federal government and do mostly content management. Great. Thanks, Claire. Richard? Yeah, um, I started out um, formally as a graphic designer. Um, That's why I'm majored in an undergrad, um, did a couple internships um, to see what I liked, uh, was at an advertising um, agency and then um, some other like small like newspapers jobs and fell into uh, like being at the museum um, and like working in um, with their graphic design um, and, and in the exhibition department, I started working on some exhibitions and 
um, a person left um, and it opened up the opportunity for me. Um, and I was like, of course, I want to stay here. Um, it's been awesome working with, um, you know, children and watching them come in um, and look at the exhibitions and um, enjoy it. Um, and this has been like a passion of mine. Um, and also like we'll get schools to come in, look at my exhibitions, um, inspire them to want to work in the tech field or um, the design field and such. So here I am. Great. Uh, thank you all. Great. And then could we have um, you guys talk a little bit about .gov design and kind of what the goal is with that, um, how it was, when it was formed? Sure. So .gov design is focused on the um, design community, specifically to federal design and some local and state, but really just the idea of being a designer in those spaces uh, for public service. So AIGADC uh, is a chapter within a larger national nonprofit organization for design. And what we facilitate as a community is really just the idea of like, okay, you're in a unique space. How can we help you in those unique spaces become a better designer? And oftentimes, and you'll probably hear throughout our, our show today, that being a designer in these federal agencies can be kind of like a one-person show uh, fraught with a lot of different challenges. And so just getting people together of uh, common threads seems to really help the individual designer grow and change. And that's primarily what we're focused on in .gov design. So it seems like .gov design was created um, because the government is starting to take more of a notice that design is important and that if your products look better, people will interact with, if they're easier to interact with, people will be more likely to do that. Um, so how did we get here? How did we get to this place where the government is finally starting to take notice and take an interest in this? Sure. I think we all have different <laughs> thoughts on how we ended up where we are today, but I'll, I'll take the a swipe at it from a picture of like longer view. Um, what I've witnessed as a designer from like the late 90s is that technology allowed us to communicate one way. And it was businesses or the interactions with agencies where you were sending out a communication through technology to a specific audience. And because of the evolution of technology, we're now finding that, okay, an agency or a business, it's no longer about sending communications out. You also have the potential to send them back as the audience. So there's a different outcome in terms of like business value to social value that we're witnessing. And there's an expectation because now we conduct so much of our lives on our phones mm -hmm. that there's a demand for an interaction, right? Or to have a smoother experience. And I think nonprofits, uh, government, uh, other sectors who may not be able to get the latest and greatest technology are still having that demand put on them to say, hey, I expect from you in your communications to hear me and allow my experience to be smoother and better. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, that means designers and technologists and a lot of other people have to come together and, and find ways to facilitate those communications in whatever best means possible. Yeah, the, to give the federal government a lot of credit is actually they've been at the forefront of really great design for a really long time. I mean, there's amazing stuff. And recently, there have been a couple good articles that have come out talking about the history of design in the federal government and what like the National Park Service I did. I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah their, their stuff is just mind blowing. If you look at the history of trying to create publications that can be distributed over huge, huge territories and um, creating design systems that people work in. But but I think the thing that Nathaniel uh, touched on that has really changed is that 
you know, all design should be about the user. All design should be about the person receiving it. It's not about what I want as the designer. It's what are they perceiving. But that feedback loop becomes a lot faster when they can send me an email and say, you know, this is not what I wanted, as opposed to sort of slowly trickling in feedback. Like maybe this piece of this print piece of collateral didn't didn't hit home in the way that we wanted it to. So that loop is increasing and it's forced us to realize the places in which we are kind of as federal designers missing that mark of really serving the users and the, the, the public in the way that they wish to be served. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what's actually starting to speed up and change in particular. Yeah. And that's hard, especially for Richard, when your audience is so huge yeah. because you want to serve the, you know, people from your grandparents age to help them to understand and bring them in and make it easy for them to little kids who it seems like they're born with the knowledge of how mm-hmm. to operate an iPhone. And so making, keeping their attention while roping in other people. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, it's very difficult. I mean, the first thing is, you know, we have to meet ADA standards um, for standards for accessibility um, for different types of individuals and, like, cater to tactile learners, visual learners, auditory um, people who read, write learners, and also, you know, uh, you know, just focusing on the main meshes first and making sure when people come into exhibitions um, that they they get that uh, main meshes first and then we go de- go down into um, detail. And then we get a lot of push from our board. Um, they're like seeing all these new technology out there. Um, and we're like, yeah, it's great, but we want to do it right. We don't want to push technology on people. Um, we want to make sure that the uh, object is still reigns perceived um, and um, that that's still important. So um, we've been like looking at different things like VR, um, if you think about uh, Pokemon Go um, mm-hmm. and how the object can still be there, but also how can we play with the object um, and how can I interface? So we've been thinking a lot about that um, and uh, thinking about the next generation uh, and what they expect from the museum um, experience. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, well, that's going to bring us to our first break uh, of our conversation with uh, three folks from the design community and the federal government. Uh, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We'll continue the conversation after a break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here in the studio with uh, Richard Bentham, exhibit designer from the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, Claire Blostein, federal digital content specialist and a committee leader for AIGA.gov design organization, and Nax, the chief design strategist at IBM Public Service. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about uh, the role of design and government and, and how it plays out in different ways. And, and as we were preparing for this show, um, I was kind of intrigued by the very many different types of designers and the roles that uh, they can have and, and the forms that they can take. And uh, um, in a government that has 
a classification system that's 70 years old and doesn't always necessarily keep up with technology. Uh, I'm interested to hear from each of you kind of how you fit into your organizations and your ecosystems and how you uh, work with your colleagues throughout your organizations to uh, to do your job, which at the end of the day is communicating something to, to a public audience. Um, do we want to start uh, with Richard? Yeah, I think um, compared to a lot of federal agencies, um, we're very unique at the Smithsonian, um, where um, the exhibitions are, are uh, forefront or like our main face um, as an organization. So um, I am in the exhibition exhibition design department, um, and that is something that is like held pretty high. Um, I would say like the curators w who write the scripts um, are probably um, the ones who are like heading where the direction is going uh, as far as exhibitions and then we would be like number two or three um, and I, I see my role as not only like designing or um, bringing about colors or the, the things you would think in design but also like really getting in the visitor's head and um, thinking like how they would um, want their experience to be and how we are facilitating that um, in different ways. Yeah, my, my experience is a little bit different that all of my federal jobs have been within communications departments within other agencies. So our job has generally been to take the policy work or the practical work that's being done by other people and figure out how to explain it to somebody who maybe doesn't have a law degree or doesn't have an economics background. Um, so it's been a lot of translation. Um, I think in some ways that makes it harder because it's often hard to convince someone that every word that they've written doesn't necessarily matter to a, a general audience. So the process of editing and, and as a mostly um, a writer, editor, and, and sort of content person um, that you can say in two words what you tried to say in 25 is kind of a, a constant plain language challenge. Um, so yeah, my my the communications portion of it, while I think of it as the most important part because that's what the public generally sees, uh, trying to remind leadership of that can be can be challenging. And from my perspective, um, as someone who has been on contracts for the government building products, could be a website, could be an app, uh, the different roles of design are have a wide range of titles, as we're kind of alluding to. But I'll say that there's a core set of activities that you'll witness within any group of designers or, or a cross-functional team. So let me expand upon that. Uh, typically, there's somebody who needs to have a, a holistic vision for what needs to be achieved, and they're communicating with this core stakeholders on, you know, here's the direction and here's why, and advocating for certain best practices. And then there's a team of people that has specific roles in design. It could be anything from being a front-end developer, being HTML, CSS, could be somebody who's a copywriter, could be... Uh, visual design or user experience design. So it's the idea of wireframes or how a user will flow through the product. And then what I found is typically those activities and the roles, uh, people will tend to overlap in their capacity for doing. And this is where the idea of the cross-functional team comes into play because having different perspectives with different suite of talent and craft allows for the thing that you're making to grow stronger. And I think those roles over time, um, the activities will probably shift just a little bit because technology is changing some of the things that we need to deliver on. But I also think that like the core set of perhaps soft skills 
that are necessary to facilitate craft and building and bringing somebody along on like what is the thing you're making those will probably remain constant because it's about just us and relationships and interacting so no matter what the technology is you still need to be able to communicate an idea to people work in a team collaborate with others to get the job done and that's not always something that the government is the very (laughs) best at Uh, and it seems too like it's harder for people today you're, you're expected to be a hybrid designer if you're just strictly a graphic designer there are kind of few jobs that you can find or maybe they're entry level you're kind of expected to have maybe in addition to designing some ux experience or some coding experience um is that something that you look for with yeah i think that's probably one of the challenges that a lot of us face regardless of where we are is that there's this idea that we have a certain level of craft in our ability to create something right so look and feel for a print piece or a website and then there's the ability to like to communicate and say why you did something a certain way and being able to defend that. Oh, right. And so with that in mind, I think what we look for, what I see common in, in, at least within the DC design scene is more and more of the job recs that are out there are a must be able to do X, Y, Z in terms of craft, but also being able to speak to uh, the soft skills and relationship skills. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to make the thing, you have to talk about it, present it, like defend it and help your clients understand or the people you're working with understand the reasons why. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, as a, it's a heartening for the writer editor in me to see because it is something that doesn't always get as much emphasis as I think it should, but being able to, to articulate why you did something because we're often working with people who don't understand, but nor should they. Like not everyone in every organization is going to have the theory to understand why certain choices were made. But if you can't explain it to them, then you haven't done your job as a designer. I think that that being able to articulate the reasoning to someone who isn't embroiled in the work is key to to being effective because mm-hmm. it forces you to, to question everything that you've done and why you've done it. Mm-hmm. Right. And with you being in journalism, my background is in journalism. A lot of it is distilling these complicated concepts into something with manageable parts that anybody can digest and understand. And and that's still comes true with design because you have to have this. You can have great content, but if it doesn't look great, people won't be drawn to it. But on the converse, if it looks great, but the content is awful, people will look at it and not think twice about it. Exactly. And not just how it looks, but how it's organized. I mean, Mm -hmm. a part of design, I think we, we tend to separate it into content and visual, but the way that content is laid out completely changes the way that you perceive it. You know, if if type is really small on a page, that's not just a visual choice. That's that's deciding that that content is less important than something that's sitting bigger. So I think part of the reason, you know, we, we need to be these unicorns of everything, but part of that is because everything matters to the final product. And mm-hmm. if you're only focusing on one place, unless you're lucky enough to have 20 people on your team who can each focus on one thing and each have equal input into that product, you're going to miss something. So... Even if you didn't start out maybe with a whole lot of understanding of of typography and layout, but you were doing something else, over time you start to understand how that's important and you become broader in your your knowledge base and more effective. Yeah, I find myself being a teacher a lot of times and um, just meeting people in their offices and like, can we talk for two seconds? Um, You know, let's, I want to break this down to you or um, I have an idea. Um, So before we get to the meeting, you know, it won't get shot down basically. (laughs) Um, and I find like that is beneficial um, 
a lot of times within government and people were like, you know, scattered all over the place in different departments, you know. Getting some buy-in before, yes. yeah, yeah. And Richard, I imagine that the challenge of, like Claire and I have, you know, traditional print or screens that we interact with and yours being perhaps the physical space, mm-hmm. like I imagine that might add some challenges to like the, the design and the convincing and the uh, articulation of the ideas. Uh, I'm kind of want to, I'm curious to hear like what that's been like for you. Um, like, so writer, editor, um, we have that on staff, on our team. Um, I, let me just explain like what an exhibition team looks like. Um, so like I said, you have the writer, editor, um, some might, sometimes you have somebody in web, um, you have me, the exhibition designer, um, you have production staff, um, you have um, other constituents um, that run the museum, visitor services, um, and all these, you have all these moving parts and trying to get an exhibition done. Um, and I, I just don't find meetings to be as helpful. They're really great <laughs> at it, like getting things done, but I have to meet with every single person and explain the same thing over and over again, um, which is fine. And, um, you know, I, I want to do that because I, I've seen the, um, the most innovation happen within exhibitions um, when there's a leader who's able to uh, talk to different people who have different expertise, um, their ideas and um, being able to pull things. Because people want the museum experience to be great. Um, I think, you know, everyone is like stuck in their their little feel, including me to some aspects. Um, and it's just having a conversation with people um, to, to meet a, a common goal. I don't know if that... No, no, that makes absolute sense. I think, you know, what I've witnessed throughout my career is when you have that leader who is, I'm going to separate leader and manager. (laughs) The leader is like that person that has that true vision and can rally the people in a very specific way of, and and the vision is like something that you help make decisions by. So having somebody to rally, and traditionally it's a creative director or an art director Mm -hmm. in agency world um, that can speak to a larger vision for how this thing needs to be brought to life. And that's been very helpful. And I also say, like, the manager component, that's, like, the tactical part. Mm-hmm. Also tied into, like, the strategic desire for the idea and, and how it's going to be brought to life. And I found that, like, having both really helps bring an experience together in a way that's very powerful and compelling and gets the results that almost everybody would want to have hap- occur in the execution. Yeah, in uh, exhibitions, we have project managers, to speak what you're talking about, who handle budget and schedule, which I'm not good at at all. <laughs> uh, so whenever it comes to that, um, it, it's great having a, you know, a good project manager so you don't have to worry about those things. Yeah. Like, I don't want to write contracts. Yeah, <laughs> takes all types. Yeah. Yes. Um, but off going off of that, um, kind of what we were talking about with Claire earlier, um, how the need for getting buy-in at the upper management level for designers so that it's not just seen as support work. What is your recommendation for somebody who's the only designer, maybe your small team in their agency, getting the upper management to view them as a central part of the team and not just, oh, you're the designer. We'll talk to you when we're done <laughs> doing the important stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, the mention of education and I, I think training yourself and, and one of the things I think .gov design does very well is um, we're training ourselves to be advocates for our own work, that it's showing how other people present their work to groups of designers and non-designers is really educational because you learn how to coach someone into it, but you're not going to to be able to barge into their office and slam on the desk and say, I am important and listen to me. I mean, 
Some people might try and do that. It's really effective. Work. Yeah. It might be very satisfying sometimes. <laughs> um, but the buy-in, I think, you know, for, for what I've found most effective is doing good work and then explaining why it's good. Because they're mm-hmm. going to react to certain things. Um, they're going to react to the pretty colors and they're going to react to like, oh, I got the bouncing ball I wanted or whatever mm-hmm. else. And if it doesn't distract from what we're trying to accomplish, that's great. But um, but being able to look at a product and break it down for, for leadership and say, this is why this is as effective as you wanted it to be. And here's what you wanted and here's what we were able to add to it. And the more you do that and the more you coach it, then they start to understand and desire that. And then they know how to expect it or ask for it. Mm-hmm. So it's a process of teaching them through getting what they, that you want to get what they want and you want to show them how you got there. Right. No, I think there's a lot of different aspects of what design can bring to the table in the conversation for the higher ups who have a certain responsibility or thing that they need to achieve. Uh, what my mentoring um, brought to me and what I continue to advocate for those that I have the opportunity to mentor is that there's modes of convincing that need to occur. And what design typically does is it breaks down bodies of information into a hierarchy and delivers that hierarchy of information in a way that's uh, compelling, digestible, people want to interact with it, and you can get feedback from what you're sharing. So with that in mind, we also know that like general population, regardless of the focused audience you want to deliver the information to, they tend to digest information a certain way. So if I can go into a meeting or the design team can go into a meeting and say, look, here are the outcomes that we're looking to solve for and how are we going to communicate or what the experience will be to drive those outcomes. Uh, we'll often point to um, ethos, pathos, and logos. So voice of authority, emotion, numbers, like three different ways that people are t- typically convinced that a message is on point, credible, uh, and, and done in such a fashion that, yeah, I want to take a moment to understand because obviously we're all bombarded with so much stuff nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like how do you filter all of that? So going back to the outcomes, like how do you convince somebody at a higher level that this is the right approach or the idea is the right one to invest in? Um, I will advocate for smaller wins if it's a really grand idea. Like start with something that you can say, here's the specific outcome that we're looking to Mm -hmm. achieve. Allow us to test. And I think that's what a lot of us are beginning to experiment with in design thinking and, and prototyping is that there are modes and means to communicate or get engagement to occur. Well, let's try it in different ways and see what really happens and test and test over and over again. So there's a bit of a science layer that's rolling into design and how we create our artifacts and how we share them and then what we get out of the approach or the thing that we made to share. And I've found that those um, angles of convincing as well as prototyping are the best means for leadership who are responsible for greater things than we are as designers to make decisions and say yes or no to. Mm-hmm. That's some really great uh, insight, Nax. And uh, this conversation has been really fascinating. When we come back from our break, we're going to uh, look at a specific tangible example of uh, how Richard and his team at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum worked together to launch an exhibit that came out yesterday. Uh, so it's it's fresh uh, uh, on uh, World War One artist soldiers. Uh, we'll talk about that with our guests after a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're featuring a discussion about the role of designers in the federal government with design experts from Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, IBM Public Service, and AIGA DC's DocGov design team. Um, so now we're going to turn a little bit and talk about um, the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, um, their latest exhibit. It just opened yesterday, and our guest Richard was... Um, one of the lead designers for the exhibit. Um, and it's all about World War I artists from the artists who were recruited by the Army, professional artists, to come paint the battle scenes to the um, soldiers themselves who actually carved underground um, tablet. Well, they carved into the limestone, right, Richard? And yeah. this is being made public for the first time now? Yeah, we had a um, Nat Geo photographer um, who found... Um, these underground barrows um, that have these depictions um, from World War One, where they were just trying to pass the time um, of um, of different like women crosses insignias, um, just gorgeous black and white photography. Um, the images are like pretty massive. Um, you kind of get immersed into um, the experience. Um, the exhibition is. Um, uh, going to mark the 100-year anniversary um, since the war um, ended, ended, and it reminds us that individuals, um, each with their unique personal experience and perspective, um, underline all great historical events. Um, working um, on this exhibition for a whole year wow. um, um, takes a lot of energy and out of you, so it's, it's ni nice to see it finally come to uh, fruition, um, being the only designer on the exhibition um, has been wonderful. I've worked with the curator, uh, Peter Jacob, who is um, uh, an expert in early flight um, and also did our Wright Brothers uh, exhibition um, at the museum. Um, so we think it's going to be a great show. Um, it's a very simple one and a little different from the ones we usually do. Um, which are much more like immersive experiences with um, rockets and space shuttles. This one is more like traditional art and photography. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very common. Um, we also have like a, a intro to World War One in the exhibition um, because uh, obviously a lot of people weren't around um, during um, that period and don't know a lot about it. Um, it's more colorful than you would expect. Um, oh. Some photos are online that you guys can check out on our website. Um, so yeah, it should be so good. Walk us through your process. You get the script from the curator, and you have to translate that into an entire exhibition 
with lighting and a yeah. mood and yeah, tell I, us how you do that. I kind of explain it um, kind of like a, a, a movie. Um, okay. uh, and I think people get it um, from that point of view where um, there's a script and the objects are the actors um, within um, an exhibition. Um, and we have to look at those actors and think, uh, okay, what's the best place for them? Um, how can we uh, tell this story? How we can... Uh, how can we manipulate the script a little bit? Because we get the script from the curator um, and we go back and forth at the writer and editor and the designer and think like, okay, how can we make this more appealing? How can we make this um, more experience-based, um, allow our visitors to be, uh, allow it to be easily ingestible um, to them? Um, so I'll get the script um, and then uh, the museum uh, managers bring together um, the team, uh, which I alluded to earlier, which can be, you know, writers, uh, web designers, um, depending on how large the, how large the uh, exhibition. And then we have a project manager who uh, will have like weekly meetings um, where we, we see where we're at, uh, what's our budget, um, what's the kind of materials that we can um, go for, uh, look at our user testing uh, materials from um, recent times and uh, see what visitors are actually looking for and what they're interested in and uh, try to cater to them um, as much as we can, um, according to, like I said, um, budget. Um, but it, it takes a, a large team to bring it together. Mm -hmm. um, technical terms, like, of course, I'm doing graphic design, and of course, um, I'm somewhat of an architect doing construction documents of how the cases are going to oh, be wow. built, um, where things are going to be. And um, we go through different phases, 50%, um, uh, like 65%, and then 100% uh, drawings. Um, and those are reviewed by um, our staff and other people within the museum. Um, and then they, they build it. Um, wow. And uh, all of this can take uh, a year or two. And even prior to um, my involvement, there has been um, someone thinking about it, usually the curator. Um, and he's brought that to the museum um, to figure out, like, if, you know, if it's going to be accepted or if it's not. Um, this is definitely uh, a more ideal situation, I think, um, um, in, than other federal government places where it's definitely a collaborative effort. Um, I, I do wish that, you know, the designer was um, on board much earlier. Oh, um, yeah, in, it's in, a theme yes. today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the good thing is, like, once you get the script, there is some um, room to change things, which mm -hmm. is nice. Do you have a favorite piece in this exhibit? Um, I think the Jeff Gusty uh, photographs are probably... Um, my favorite in the whole exhibition. So I don't have like a particular piece. Um, it's just that section is really powerful, especially mm -hmm. uh, it has like a large mural um, that makes it a little bit more of a immersive experience. Yeah, I was looking at photos online and it's like a city underground of limestone. And mm -hmm. I saw too some of the soldiers even carved in Red Sox scores on yeah. some of the Yeah, we were joking stone. around that that was going to be like uh, a selfie area oh, yeah. <laughs> for people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us also about some of the other exhibits that you've worked on. Um, so I've worked on uh, Outside the Spacecraft, which celebrated um, us uh, 50 years of being outside of uh, the, the spacecraft. Um, and that was a really interesting project um, because I got to, uh, you know, uh, deal with uh, with gloves, uh, Neil Armstrong's boots and gloves oh, wow. and um, 
putting that into a case and positioning that and um, also uh, uh, old watches that they used um, while the while we had the moon landing. Um, and then I also, we had the Da Vinci's Codex book, um, Da Vinci's uh, first drawings um, of uh, flight, basically, uh, where he did drawings of like birds and how that could be translated into humans one day flying. Um, and that book, I think, comes out every 10 years. Um, and then it's goes back into storage. Um, so that was an interesting project. And I think my most exciting project was probably working on um, the spatial discovery, um, all the advertisement and branding of that um, when it flew over DC. Um, and I think that was a big moment for um, everyone in the area seated on top of a Boeing 747 and flying into uh, the Uvar Hazy Center um, in Virginia. Yeah, wow. Did you um, work on the advertisements for that and the marketing collateral, or were you designing that exhibition? How were you involved Yeah, so in that? we didn't have an exhibition. Um, it, the exhibition was just the shuttle coming into um, uh, the Uva Hazy Center. So, yeah, I was purely um, doing the marketing material, the advertisements, um, working with um, the web designer um, to the look of that and everything. And that was basically uh, my first project as an intern. Um, so that was it was phenomenal that I got to do that. Um, and it's probably like my biggest project um, that had the most visibility um, because, yeah, everyone was really excited um, oh, yeah. in D.C. <laughs> to have that um, happen. Mm -hmm. so it's pretty awesome. So you have a main message that you want people to take away from each exhibit that you design. Mm -hmm. Does that come from the curator in the script or is that something that your team comes up with? And Yeah, I feel like that's something that... Uh, me as a designer or other designers have to kind of like pull out mm -hmm. of the script. Um, the curator has the message that they want to give um, almost like a narrative from beginning to end. Um, and we try to break that up into chunks um, because people come to the museum and they um, say, I have 10 minutes to see everything in the Smithsonian. Oh and for, you know, we know that that's not Come possible. back another day. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're like, okay, how can we um, look at uh, the main message? Like, what is the main message that you want every single person to get mm -hmm. when they come into the exhibition? Um, and of course, we'll have everything else for the other people who want to do a deep dive into um, the information. Um, and we try to look at... Um, uh, a lot of our exhibitions um, like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. What about, so for the art one that just released yesterday, what would be the main message you want everybody to take away from that? You kind of touched on it at the beginning, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think the main message is um, like, you know, World War One was, um, you know, a, a huge event, but it's really the stories um, and the people behind it um, that, bring together the whole exhibition as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, like right in the beginning, as soon as you walk in, um, we have portraits of all of the artists um, that worked on all the pieces in the beginning. And it talks about their background, um, you know, the process they went through um, getting to creating these beautiful um, works of art um, and like a little bit of what they did afterwards. Um, and looking at each image, you can see um, their style and, um, if they stayed back um, and then some of them went into the battlefield to get the really gory um, things because these um, artworks were basically, you know, kind of used as propaganda 
Um, and some of them were chosen and then some of them were, weren't. Like one thing that we didn't include an exhibition on the back, the ones that were used have a stamp on it. Um, uh, and the ones that weren't used, which were the more gory ones, um, mm -hmm. wasn't used because we wanted to make sure that, you know, everyone was on board with oh, the war at the right. time. Yeah, that's crazy. So the exhibit is open for... Will it be there? It's not permanent, right? Yes, it's not permanent. So it'll be open for um, about a year and a half. Okay. Um, and the exact dates are available online. Okay, great. As um, In addition to you said that you have extended hours during spring break right now. So yeah. if people can get over there now, go see that. Um, and that takes us to our next break. But we'll, after the um, commercial break, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about .gov design and what they have coming up on their agenda. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering the last segment of our show, talking with three uh, designers in and around the, the federal government and federal space. And uh, in this last segment, we wanted to talk a bit about uh, the design community and what uh, .gov design is doing to help bring together uh, folks in this disparate field, uh, help them advance their craft and their profession, and also... Um, broaden their networks so they can uh, drive uh, improvement and change through the government, um, leveraging new technology and initiatives coming out of the, the administration, what have you. Um, Nax or Claire, do one of you want to kind of give us a, a, a bit more of information on .gov design and, and where things are going? Sure, I can start. Um, so I think where we're going is continual growth. It's been really encouraging to see just from year one when we had our first conference, very humble beginnings, to year two. Uh, I think we doubled in size for just conference attendees. I think for year three, we're looking for similar trajectory in that uh, we still want to bring same quality content. We, ex we assume pretty much that our growth will, I don't know if we'll double again, but I'd like to think that we're going to get pretty close. And uh, I think the other thing that I want to speak to is like we've become, because of the growth and because of uh, feedback from those that are attending our events, we're realizing that the need is strong and there's a lot of different types of need. So we're focusing our efforts on like, okay, how do we as an organization or a group really meet those needs for the community and becoming more in intent on having regular events more so than we have been, but different types of events. And I think uh, if there's anything I want to leave with the audience right now is that there's an opportunity to help inform and speak to the direction of the community. We are always looking for volunteers. <laughs> um, we're also looking for speakers. We're looking for people who feel like they have something to share, be it a personal story or be it um, an expertise or uh, a lesson learned. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the fun aspects about the community is I've met very unique designers in different spaces and their personal stories are a lot of fun to hear. Uh, for example, um, I did meet a guy who was an immigrant, had joined the Marines, uh, was able to go to school a, after his service, 
and became a federal designer. And his own personal story of, of coming to this country, serving in multiple ways is a very, very powerful one. And I think those are the types of things that our community can begin to amplify and show that our role in public service is one that uh, needs to be told and one that has significant impact. Yeah, it's, it's a really, I, um, I came to it a couple of years ago, um, partially because I was kind of nascent to the design field. I was doing more and more design work and I really felt like, okay, I need to make sure I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so started going to events and, and it's, it is an interesting combination. There are a lot of people there that are looking for the educational aspect. They want to learn a new skill or they want to understand kind of how to raise the bar. There are uh, people who are trying to build their community and feel less alone in their work because we are so separate. Oftentimes, you know, one or two people who work in design stuff in their entire agency or in their department. Um, and you get you know, another group of people who are, are maybe not sure where they fit. Like, they don't even know if they are designers like me. I didn't think of myself in those terms because I didn't have the background or I didn't have the title, but I was doing the work. So I was trying to figure out where I fit in the community. And so broadening not only our skill sets, but the sense of what falls within DACA of design, what falls within the design space and the government Um are all things that we've sort of continued to do as we've gone along. And you get more and more people doing really varied types of work, but always with a core of solving problems and solving them within a sort of design space as broad as that <laughs> that big D design can be because it's, it's getting bigger and bigger because we just keep doing more. So you guys this year had your um, Doc of Design school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, Ashley Axios, who had, was one of our founding members and, and still works with us, and uh, Leandres from um, Aquiant had put together a short, a four-week um, session with only with 15 people. We ran out of registration space within a couple of minutes of the opening mm -hmm. to cover a uh, several different issues. One, some of them were design fundamentals, um, teaching about kind of the the basics of design, which can fill in some gaps for people who maybe kind of came in through the side door like like I did um, and some material on presenting and pitching your design which as we've talked about it becomes more and more important explaining you know what you've done and why you've done it and then also a section on the ethics of design which is a really interesting one in the government space so it was over a couple of weeks um, each you know Tuesday night for a few hours the group would get together online and have presentations and really interesting discussions on on those issues. And it's something that I think now that we've done it once, we will see how it evolves and hopefully offer something like it again. Yeah. And then your conference, you so you this will be the third year that you've done it. Um, can you give us a little preview of that? Sure. So typically, with the past two years, we've had it in the spring. We're moving it to the fall this year. And um, part of that is we want to grow the conference in a new way. So the, the timing, I think, also meets up with like a lot of the, the designers' needs in federal spaces. And I think most exciting for me is now that we've gotten some good feedback after having run two, um, our intent for how we're going to show up in this one is, is to grow it in a way that not only has is, is been strong in content, but like accessibility. So we're thinking about, and this is, a, this is at the forefront of a lot of our minds in designing in federal spaces, is the content is great if you're in a physical space and you can network and meet people and, and see it, but are there other ways for us to facilitate the content here so that it's a little more timeless and, and a way for also people to get to it and they may not be physically here? And there, there are restrictions around designers and, and federal agencies getting permission to 
to leave during the workday and go to a conference and the funding for that. Mm -hmm. So we're very aware of that. So we, we want to make sure that like, okay, how can we help those designers too? And technology has given us a lot of advantages in making that happen. But with that type of intent of expansion comes new challenges and, and new things that we need to figure out. Yeah. I remember I went to the conference last year and it was mind blowing for me meeting all these designers who were quote designers in my mind who hadn't gone to school for design and that concept was completely new to me. I thought that you had to have this background in it, but um, the more you're in it and the more you meet people, it's more you need an eye for it and then you can grow from there and grow your skill set. And it's funny too because I took a class in the fall and it's like you realize you're doing things, but you don't know the words for them. And you're learning about type pairing and color theory. And it's like, oh, well, that makes, you know, just having that filled in, like with the design school and at the conference really helps young designers a lot. Um, and I remember one of my favorite speakers at the conference was somebody you wouldn't really think of as a federal job in design. Um, and she contracted the people for the post office who um designed all of the stamps mm -hmm. and who wouldn't want that job <laughs> that would be and she just said that she looked for new designers and she talked with them and then she was given assignments by the board or the post office came up with the, these are the designs we want for the year and she went out and found that yeah I think pretty much everybody who left the conference wanted wanted to be her <laughs> yeah. by the end of it yeah. um, it was like it was our version of having a rock star mm -hmm. present which was was pretty amazing but yeah I mean a lot of other people maybe didn't go to design school um not to say but the the other part of that is that you know because design fractures in so many ways that maybe the visual part isn't as strong of a part of the work, work you do these facilitation people who are um there's some really great work happening at, at state where really trying to bring design thinking and design and problem solving and we call it design thinking which i think you know, sometimes if people just haven't realized the expansion of it um, implies that, you know, you're going to end up with with a visual product. But it's really about just solving problems in new ways and approaching it from a multifaceted approach and approaching it from who are we trying to solve this for? It's not, you know, our problem, who is going to be using the product? So a lot of us who have now entered the design community entered to be different kinds of designers than than the sort of most traditional um, art direction, graphic design kind of Mm -hmm. There's a core question I continually want to make sure we're answering for those that are involved in the community is like, are we equipping you well? Mm -hmm. And okay, what does that look like for you as an individual in an agency or outside of an agency um, as an advocate for design? And I think when you think about it that way, um, there's a continual evolution in craft, meaning the tools that we use and, and how our ideas show up in some sort of product. But then Design it seems to be evolving, as Claire's mentioned, with design thinking. It's a method to facilitate an understanding of what the core challenges are and then gathering ideas around that core challenge or series of challenges and then breaking the challenges down into smaller chunks so we can tackle them. And I think that the .gov design community gets kind of meta because we are we're solving challenges for ourselves <laughs> and we're designing for designers to some degree and that um, we set the bar pretty high on and that, that could be a, a good or a bad thing some days. And I think all that I'm pointing to here is that with the community, it's growing fast. There's definitely a strong need. And I want to hit the bell again on, like, we need more volunteers. We need people who aren't necessarily designers to participate. 
recognizing the impact and equipping people for change is our goal. And regardless of a skill set, meaning visual design or UX or whatever it may be, if you have a perspective and you worked with designers or maybe you want to learn what it's like to work with designers, please come check us out. I think our our Twitter feed is like one of the best ways to like just kind of ping us because multiple volunteers are monitoring that and we share it with one another and we can talk and it's the best way for us to to maybe have a conversation with you. Yeah, and we are also on Facebook and other places, so we will, we will find you. And we do, if you want to work with designers, we promise we are very nice people. We are really <laughs> fun to work with. We have pencils and Post-it notes and markers. <laughs> it's, it's a really good time. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Richard? Um, no, I think that's um, <laughs> it. I mean, I... It, that was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're really fortunate to have such a broad spectrum. I mean, if if talking to the three of us and and the variety of work we do gives you a taste of the variety of people who are involved with talk of design governments that multiple. We are mostly federal, but we are not exclusively. We get people from state, local governments as well, people who are contractors inside, outside, and it's it takes all of those perspectives to really get the full scope. And it's hard to wrap your mind around in an hour, but. Um, there's incredible work happening and people doing really great things to make sure that that keeps happening. And it, there's no space to me more important for, than that to happen for government because you're designing for everybody. I mean, everyone who comes to a museum, everyone who needs a government service, everyone who needs to um, you know, participate in anything at any level. It's, uh, it's a general audience in the strictest sense of the word and it's an incredible challenge. So we need more people, we need more good people. Cool. Well, thanks. That's a great way to wrap it all up. Uh, this has been a really fascinating, fantastic conversation. I uh, want to thank our three guests, uh, Nax, the chief design strategist with IBM Public Service and a .gov design committee leader, uh, Claire Blaustein, uh, federal di- digital content specialist and .gov design committee leader, and Richard Bentham, uh, uh, exhibit designer with Smithsonian's uh, National Air and Space Museum. You can go check out Richard's brand new exhibit at the Air and Space Museum that opened yesterday on World War One soldier art. Um, thanks for listening to Fed Talk. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. This show is brought to you by the law firm of uh, Shaw, Bransford, and Roth.